Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 in your hearing, all right? It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of God of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And so Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his, in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there. And arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar atop of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham then called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Amen. I want to draw your attention uh, very quickly to verses 7 and 8. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Listen to Abraham's response. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, there's got to be a ram. Amen. There's got to be, there's got to be a ram. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. There's got to be, has to be, a ram. Many of us are able to rejoice over the reality that we have, deep down in our souls, a promise from the Lord. Do I have a witness in the building? I'm not talking about something that you thought he said, something that some prophet liar told you he said when you paid a big offering. But I'm talking about you had a real encounter with God. And in the midst of that encounter, God spoke a word to your spirit. He made you a promise and that promise 
has not yet come to pass, but you're holding on to that promise. And you're believing that God is getting ready to do just what he said. And even in the midst of those of us who have promises, there are those of us even more so to whom God has spoken with specificity regarding what he's going to do in our lives. Meaning God hasn't just told us that he's going to do something. He told us how he was going to do it. He told us who he was going to use to do it. He told us the way he was going to make. He told us the door he was going to open. He told us the child that was going to get saved. He didn't just say supernatural debt cancellation. He told you the bill that's going to get written off. He told you the relationship that was going to get restored. And the reason why I love God is because he is a promise-making God. And he makes promises with the intent to complete what he has promised. God says there's nothing that I've said to you, nothing that I've promised you, nothing that I've spoken to you that will return to me void. He said, as a matter of fact, everything I say, if I lied, it would become fact and then it wouldn't be a lie anymore because everything that God says has to come to pass. As a matter of fact, Samuel told Saul this way, God is not a man that he should lie. God does not have to lie because he ain't afraid of nobody. My children lie. When I ask them, did they tear some up in the house? Because they're afraid. People lie when they get on the stand uh, in the courthouse because they're afraid. But the Bible says God is not a man who fears other men. And because of that, he doesn't have to lie to you. What are you trying to say, Pastor Josh? I'm telling you that if God has made you a promise, you need to rest assured that God will do whatever he has to do to make sure that that promise comes. Comes to pass. God is absolutely going to do what God has promised. As a matter of fact, some of you are in the building today and you spend enough time with God to where you are holding, using, driving, working, living in the manifestation of something that God has promised. Okay, y'all sleep. Uh, has God ever kept a promise to anybody in the building? Uh, has God ever kept his word to anyone in the house? And you're able to look at your life and see the evidence that God is a promise keeping God. We're holding miracles in our hand, looking at them in our driveway, living with them in our houses, touching them when we go in the refrigerator, looking at them when we check our bank account balance because we understand that God made a promise and what God promised, God will do. And there is nothing like holding the manifestation of a miraculous promise in your hand. Doesn't it feel good, beloved, when God gives you that thing that he's promised you, that, that thing that seemed impossible, that, 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 that child that they told you you'd never be able to have, that job that they told you you weren't qualified for, that house that you know you didn't have the down payment or the credit score to be able to get and you're able to turn the key in the lock you're able to roll down the windows on a nice day in Florida you're able to hold that child even though sometimes they might get on your nerves you remember a time when you wasn't supposed to have it and God kept his word to you is there anybody here who knows what it's like to hold something that God has promised you in your hand I want you to see it now because if you've ever held God's promise in your hand, then you know that God then has the power to produce what he's promised, that God will never promise you something and not produce it in your life. And that as a matter of fact, the biggest faith move then, beloved, is not waiting on God to produce the promise, but it's what God asks for once the promise has been produced. God help me uh, that God will allow time to pass while you're waiting on the manifestation of the miracle that the that, that, that God has said he's sending your way uh, but that's not really the test because you can't miss something that you never had God help me uh, let me talk now to some single person that's dead set on being married you can't miss a spouse you ain't never had uh, you can't miss something that you ain't never had learn how to maximize the season that you're in because a new season is not a blessing 
blessing. It's just a new, different kind of struggle. Yes, bless, marriage is a blessing. It's honorable among all, and the bed be undefiled. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible also says, Jesus uh, said this in Matthew, that you have to grow into the largeness of marriage. And that if you're not able to grow into the largeness of marriage, then you need to stay single, Paul says, and worry about pleasing the Lord and yourself. But too many of us, while we're waiting on things, uh, we don't understand that waiting is not really the place where it's hard because you can't miss a miracle that you've never held in your hand. But what do you do when God finally gives you the thing that you've been praying for, when God finally sends you a boo, when God finally gives you a promotion, when God finally gives you a new car, when God finally gives you these things that you've been waiting on, when he gives you more resources, when he gives you a bigger platform. But now God is asking you to take the thing that you've been praying for and to give it to him as an offering. God, help me. Oh God, don't worry. I don't want y'all to put your Baptist fingers up and tip out on me. I'm not preaching about giving this week, uh, but I am going to preach about giving an offering. Oh God, what God requires is he says that I want to test you because I want to, I want you to know, or I want to know whether or not you love me more than you love the stuff that you've been waiting on for from me. I need to know if you love me more than you love the stuff that I've given you. And so you think I'm making it up because you say God ain't going to test us like that. Why would God need to test us like that? But the Bible says, chapter 22, verse number one, it says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. God help me. Okay, you missed it. It came about after these things. Yeah, after these things. After what things? Genesis 12. God speaks to Abraham and says, get thee out of thy father's house and away from thy family and away from thine kindred and go unto a land that I will show thee and I will surely bless thee and I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and in you shall all the peoples of the earth be blessed. That's after that. Then he says uh, a few chapters later, uh, three men, we find out that it is a theophonic appearance of the New Testament Christ in Old Testament form. They come to Abraham and his wife and they prophesy to Abraham and his wife and say, hey, you're going to have a baby boy of your own. Uh, 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 Sarah laughs when the prophetic word is given and the angels then, the angels of the Lord tell her since you had so much to laugh about when we told you what God said, you need to name that boy you having laughter. The Bible says though that S Sarah was not able to wait. She was getting up there in age. She didn't have the treatments that we have nowadays. So what she did was she allowed Abraham to uh, sleep with her assistant Hagar and in sleeping with Hagar the Bible says they, they conceived a son by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael grew up. He was a strong, strapping, fearsome young man. Uh, but in the middle of that, while Abraham was doting over Ishmael and loving on something that God never told him to make in the first place. The Bible says that God did his thing within the womb of Sarah. And so now he's looking at Isaac and waiting or looking at Ishmael and waiting for Isaac to be born. The Bible then says that Isaac is born and because Isaac is born now uh, Sarah uh, starts to hate Ishmael and his mother Hagar. Now Sarah starts hating the woman that slept with her husband and had a baby. Now that's rational until you remember that she volunteered the woman to sleep with her husband to make a baby for her husband in the first place. It's real housewives of Canaan at this point. Sarah wants Hagar out because she's the baby mama. But Hagar is mad because you made me the baby mama. I didn't even want your husband in the first place. But God says to keep peace in the house Abraham I know it's going to hurt you but you got to send Ishmael away and don't worry about what happens to Ishmael send him away he's in my hand because I promised you that all of your seed even the seed of yours that is illegitimate would form a great nation God help me you missed it uh, you serve a God that is so great that if you let him handle your mistakes he's able to make miracles out of your mistakes God help me see let me help you with something I want you to understand 
understand this. Uh, uh, Abraham wanted to keep Ishmael and Hagar with him. Uh, the same reason why we won't give our mess to God. Because Abraham wanted to play damage control on the situation that he created. He did not trust God to handle the fallout. Abraham didn't want it out there uh, uh, in the country that he had uh, kids out of wedlock. He didn't want nobody to know that he had stepped out with his wife. That his wife had had temporary insanity and told him to sleep uh, with her best friend, her assistant. And now he got a baby that he can't claim. But God told Abraham, let it go. Put it out of your house and trust me to do with it what you can't do with it yourself. I want to talk to somebody who feel like you got too many skeletons in your closet and you don't want to do anything. You don't want to be anywhere in church. You don't want to be used by God in a mighty way because you're afraid that if you get up on stage, somebody going to start telling your business and put out the things that you've done. But the devil is a liar. Either you've been called by God and you trust him or you don't trust God at all. God said, put Ishmael out your house. And God said, when you do it, you'll look up and find out the thing that you were ashamed of has been made great. That was nowhere in my message. My bad. Uh, so he, he, he puts Ishmael out of the camp. Uh, God then spares Ishmael and Sarah's life. The Bible says that Isaac grows. He makes a covenant. Abraham makes a covenant with Abimelech, the king of that land, to give him his own piece of land to live on. Okay? Let me summarize for you. Okay? They go from no baby to two babies. Not enough room to Abimelech giving them more than enough room. He goes from household drama so now he only has one son in the house and one wife to worry about. God said, I got Ishmael and Hagar. That's my problem, not yours. Right? So God fixes all of Abraham's mistakes, puts his life back on track, puts him back the way he felt like he should have been. And then the Bible says, chapter 22, verse 1, and it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. The test is not coming when you don't have any choice but to trust God. Can I help you? You're not tested when you don't have anything. When your heart is not at war with your spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, don't brag to me about how faithful you are to church and to God and to ministry when your phone dry and ain't nobody calling you but people who need you to do stuff at church. Don't, don't tell me how faithful you are when you're sitting at home half the time wishing somebody would ask you to do something, even if it is stack chairs at church. Don't tell me how much you love God when you don't have any options but to love him. And sometimes, I hate to tell you this, sometimes God will allow blessings to come into your life. Not so that you can be excited about the blessing, but so that the blessing can show your true colors. That you're not as dope and as mature and as faithful as you thought you were. Huh? Because it's easy to look at prices frugally when you're broke. Do you hear me? It's easy to say, I'm a good steward when you ain't got nothing but a dime to give out the dollar. But what changes is when God gives you more stuff, you have to be more faithful over the more stuff. The biblical reward for faithfulness is more stuff to be faithful over. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so what God has to do is God has to allow manifestation to take place in your life so that you can see what it feels like when other people are doing the things that you used to criticize them for. 
Yeah. I don't know why. Why is she always tripping over that dude she with? With your single self. Uh, they, they, the reason they can't tithe is because they got more house than they can afford. Meanwhile, you go back to your one-bedroom apartment praying that God will give you something else. And then God gives you something else. And now you find out that what you thought was faithfulness ain't really faithfulness. It was self-righteousness. Because now you got to try to stretch in places that wasn't a stretch before. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I promise I'm in the Bible. God is testing Abraham after he has blessed Abraham. And he doesn't test Abraham with something arbitrary or with something that doesn't matter. He says, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. That bothers most of us because we just know, we know he got more than one son. But you got to culturally understand what happens in the text. The Jews, the Hebrew people took fatherhood seriously. So in order for a father to relinquish his responsibilities over a son, it was similar to a divorce. He excommunicated Ishmael from his family. In his eyes, this is the problem. This is the tension now between Jews and Muslims to this day. Abraham, according to the Jews, disowned Ishmael. So he is not a part of the covenant promise. Do you hear what I'm saying? So in Abraham's eyes, Ishmael did not exist. So the only son that he had left was Isaac. And when God says something twice, he said, take now thy son, thine only son. God is identifying the relationship between Isaac and Ishmael. That causes, or between Isaac and Abraham rather, that causes him pain because he's asking him for the last one he got left. He says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there. Stop. He could have stopped there. Right? Because there was a way to give an offering without killing the boy. We do it whenever we have babies in church. We do baby dedications, right? That's an offering. Technically, we didn't invent that. The Hebrews did that. There was a way to offer him to God without for real offering him to God. But he says, take the thing now that you love most, the thing that you've been waiting for the longest, and offer that thing to me in a way that you can't have it back. God help me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because a burnt offering was not received until it was consumed. That the only way that God would receive, the only way they know that God would receive an offering is if he burnt it up fully. You think I'm playing, but in Genesis uh, chapter 6, or Genesis chapter 3 rather, uh, when Cain and Abel are providing their offerings to God for the first time in history, the Bible says that God received Abel's offering. But refused Cain's. How did Cain know that his offering had been refused? Because after the fire of God fell, the offering was still sitting there. So God is saying, take now your son, the one you love the most, the one you've been waiting for, and offer him to me as a burnt offering. Give him to me with no expectation that you're ever going to get him back. Give him to me, believing that once you light him on fire, it's over. And you'll never see him again. And I told you that you can't have Ishmael. You would have to break covenant with Sarah to go claim Ishmael as your son, and you can't do that. I want you to give it all to me. But Abraham does something that blows my mind that many of us would not have done in the situation. It is clear now when you read the story of Abraham and God that they have room for dialogue between one another. 
right? That they don't just have the relationship where God says something, Abraham don't say nothing, he just do what God says. They go back and forth uh, really a little bit more than makes me comfortable in the text. Abraham had room to say something, but the Bible says in verse 3, after God makes a ridiculous request, Abraham arises early in the morning. Uh, the implicit value of the text is that he didn't waste any time. That when God says speak, he got up right away. And he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he prepared for the burnt offering and arose to went and went to the place where God had told him. Abraham did not delay. Abraham didn't delay. He didn't pray about it. He didn't ask his wife what she thought he should do with their baby. The Bible says that Abraham didn't delay. I want to help somebody uh, because there are two things I see. Number one, we see that Abraham did not delay, but then two, Abraham did not debate. Because the person that Abraham would have to talk to, hear me now, his wife has already shown that she don't know how to speak faith even when God is present. And you got to be careful not running stuff that God has told you by people who don't know how to believe God. Do you hear what I'm saying? You've shown that you can't, Sarah, you've shown that you can't believe God when God is talking to you. You laugh at God when God is talking to you. So what you going to say when I tell you God was talking to me and you wouldn't know where around? Along with choosing not to delay your obedience, you can't debate your obedience with carnal folk. You can't ask people who have not yielded to God in their own life whether or not you should yield to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why you got to be careful how many people you get advice from and who you pattern your life after. Watching all these YouTube uh, luminaries and Facebook gurus and all this other stuff that ain't got a bit of the Holy Ghost. You've got to learn how to stop debating. If you heard God say do something, stop delaying because delayed obedience is disobedience. I know y'all don't believe it, but every parent has experienced this. At least if, if you haven't, uh, you got some great children. Your children are much better than mine because I son, my son, I know he loved me. Like I know he do. He loved me so much that I can beat his tail and leave to go to the grocery store. And he'll stand up and cry because his daddy left him there and didn't take him to the grocery store. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. My son loved me, right? But he get in front of the TV and the right show is playing. My son can hear me calling him. His sister can be like, daddy's calling you. But he's locked into the TV. But Mike, when he hear my footsteps coming down the hall, he want to turn around and say, yes, daddy, yes. But now you done already inconvenienced me. The point of you having ears is for me not to have to get up. So now I got to pop you in the hallway. The fact that I had to meet you halfway warrants discipline because you got to understand that coming when you feel like it is a different kind of rebellion God help me that when you hear God say come Lord help me it doesn't matter if you dress right don't matter if you got your mind right it doesn't matter what issues you have if you hear God calling you the response of the obedient child is to come when you hear your father calling Abraham does not delay Abraham does not debate. I got to quit. Uh, so then, you know the story, right? Uh, the Bible says that God takes Abraham up the mountain. Abraham in verse 8 makes a declaration of faith. I'm coming back here. He says, God will provide for himself the burnt offering. 
Oh, God, I, I really wish, I, this clock is ticking down. I really wish I had time to deal with that. But, but, but notice, uh, Abraham says, the Lord will provide, not for us, But, 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 but you asked me to bring you something. You, the offering, Maya, is supposed to come from me. You asked me for it. But when I look around and I see that I don't have what I need to satisfy you, Abraham says, that you're going to provide something. But when you do it, you're not doing it for me. Lord, help me. You're providing something for yourself. God, help me. He says, Yahweh Jireh. He says, the Lord will provide for himself. Huh. Oh, this is a word for all of you. Who got attitudes with people and with God because you think God needs you to accomplish something. Yeah, you, you, you really got it into your mind. You really started thinking that you are the gas that make the ship of Zion sail on the water. That you're the wind in our sails. But God, even if he uses you with your crazy self, he's still providing for himself. As a matter of fact, you don't even get it, but God, uh, God through Mordecai told Esther this way. He says, Esther, don't think because you're sitting up there in the palace all large and in charge uh, with your new money and your new servants and all that stuff uh, that you're better than everybody else because I got a word for you. If you keep silent at this time, then deliverance and prosperity for God's people will come from another place. But you and everything connected to you will be destroyed. But could it be? That God has brought you into wealth and prosperity, not for yourself, but for such a time as this. God, help me. Somebody needs to understand that God is the God that will look at, it, at Gideon's army of 3,000 3, and say that 3,000 is too many for me. God is the same God that will look at a group of people around in, in, a, in a room with a girl that is dead or sick unto death and put all of the people, people out of the room so that he can work his miracle. God never needed anybody to do anything for him and whenever God requires something from you God will provide what God requires God help me I, I know it's not good news for you because you're self-righteous I know it's not good news because you thought that it was your job that God was going to use I, I know it's not good news for you because you thought that it was your entrepreneurial excellence and your business acumen and your spiritual knowledge that was going to make this thing come to pass that it was your financial frugality that God needed to make his vision come to pass but the devil is a liar if you decide to sit back right now God said I will provide for myself Lord help me and is there anybody here who's glad that whenever God gives you a vision provision is not predicated on who's around you who's helping you you're grateful for everything that you get anybody that helped Joshua Eggerson I'll never forget you anybody that ever helped us do anything you're always on my mind but I know that you're just just a source or resource that God is using and he is the source that's why you can't trip when people exit your life because you were never depending on them in the first place God was just using them God help me okay let me help you I got to help somebody now uh, there is a different kind of disappointment that happens in your house when you blow up when you blow out a light bulb and when your power is out God help me uh, when your power is is cut off when JEA and Clay start tripping with you you've exhausted your extensions and your arrangements or a strong wind come through and a tree knock a power line down that's a different frustration than when I just blow out a light bulb why pastor in both cases you're in the dark in both cases you need light oh god well in both cases I don't need light in one
one case, I need a light. In another case, I need power. It's cheaper for me to replace a light, God help me, than it is for me to replace power, God help me. And that's how you need to act. When people exit your life, but you still got God, you should still be able to say, I can get a light bulb anywhere. Oh God, I can get a light fixture anywhere. But if they cut off the power source, I'm in a world of hurt. God said, you need to learn how to give me glory because no matter what you lose you still got me meet me in E flat in about five minutes Uh, so he says the Lord will provide for himself can I point something out? I'm not going to preach it. I just, I just want to point something out. And, uh, notice then, verse 5. Uh-huh. <laughs> Abram, Abraham said to, the, to his manservants, uh, Stay here with the asses, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we will return to you. Ah. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he left the men there, but Mike, he left them to keep watch over the over the donkeys. Ah. <laughs> uh, And the reason he did it is because Abraham understood something that many of us won't get. And the reason, and because we haven't gotten it, we have not made the journey of spiritual maturation that we need to make. And Abraham understands simply this. Listen to me. Every person that's got friends, dead weights in their life, uh, you you can't take an ass to worship. You can't bring an ass with you up the mountain. You, you've got to at some point decide that, that if I'm going to the place of praise, if I'm going to the place of worship, then I've got to leave every donkey in my life behind. Come here. I, I, know, I know you don't want to hear it, but you got some people in your life. Why do you say donkeys? Uh, see, the reason why he could not take the donkeys up the mountain. I promise y'all I'm exegetical. I do all of my homework, even if I don't put it in every sermon. The reason why he could not take the donkeys up the rough side of Mount Moriah is because donkeys were not able to handle their peaks or their heads being elevated up a peak for the duration of the journey. At some point, the donkey would have started the journey, but at some point, the height of the mountain would have caused the donkey to stop in the middle of the journey so rather than starting the journey with someone that you know couldn't complete the journey Abraham said I'm gonna leave the donkeys with you at the bottom of the hill oh God I want to preach to somebody now you got to understand that you got too many people in your life and you too willing to have them with you just because they'll start with you but what good is it for them to start with you if they won't finish with you you don't need any wishy-washy people in your life and I know I've used the analogy about the rocket booster but baby you ain't Apollo 11 you a child of God you don't need anybody with you that won't finish the journey you don't need anybody with you that's going to abandon you halfway and can I tell you what donkeys do when they get stubborn when donkeys get stubborn when they're uh, when they get stubborn at first they're carrying you but when they get stubborn you got to get behind them and push them and and pull them and and whereas they were once useful to you they outweigh their usefulness or they outlast their usefulness because they're stubborn he left the donkeys at the bottom of the hill Makes a declaration of faith. He says, I and the lad will return unto you. I got to go in now. He says, they get up to the hill. I got to rush past this. Remind me to come back to verse 9. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to read this. Don't, y'all don't say amen. 
don't shout or nothing while I read this verse. I'm going to come back to it. Okay. Verse number nine, it says, then they came to the place which God had told him and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son and laid him on the altar atop the wood. And Abram stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Okay. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Okay. Verse 13. And then I'm going to preach for two minutes and we're going to get out of here. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. That doesn't confuse you, because culturally you don't see the picture. Uh, I, I grew up in the Midwest, um, and uh, I, I did a football camp in Colorado. Uh, my junior year in high school, and when they were driving us through uh, the Rockies before they built uh, the interchange that would take you through them, you didn't have to go up and around them, um, we were able to stop on the side of the road and see what a bighorn ram looks like. I'm not talking about the truck. I'm, 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 I'm talking about the animal, right? Uh, if you put the graphic up, Joe, you can see kind of in the graphic there on the screen, uh, that, that's, what a, that's what a ram looks like. And, 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 and a ram, right, is about 250 pounds of pure beast with big horns on it. The Bible says, now I just, the Bible says that that was caught in a thorn bush. That's what a thicket is. Y'all missed it. The, the, the Bible says that that animal, there was not a lamb in the bush. There was not a sheep in the bush. There was not a goat in the bush. All of those would have made sense. And, and he says they were caught in a thicket in a thorn bush. Which means that the thorns should have caught the ram or the lamb or the sheep or the goat by its fur. But as a male ram, he does not have enough fur to be caught in the thorn bush. Moreover, there is no fur on him to be caught. And the Bible says that he wasn't caught by his fur. The Bible says he was caught by his horns. In the bush, the strongest part of his body, the thing that he uses to make war, the thing that he would use to escape from any other place is being arrested in the thorn bush so that Isaac does not have to die. God help me. Abraham looks and he sees a ram caught in something that he shouldn't have been caught in. God help me. And all I want to tell you is that when you choose to obey God, God will allow you to see things that you shouldn't see. How do I know it? The Bible says, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And check this biblical word out. I want to, I want to teach you something today. This seminary for some of y'all. Behold. Oh, God. Whenever the Bible uses the word behold in the Old Testament. It, it, it implies that the thing you are beholding has been there the entire time. Lord, help me. Uh, uh, that the thing that you are beholding has always been there. You just could not see it because of either your vantage point or because of your attitude or because your eyes were fixated on something else. Okay, Pastor Josh, that's deep. Uh, but what are you talking about? What I'm trying to tell you then, beloved, is the ram that we just got done shouting about didn't just appear when the angel told him to spare Isaac's life. The ram that he needed was there the entire time. God help me. And your confession 
confession when it looks like God is asking you for something that you ain't ready to give up when it looks like God is asking you to give him something that you've been praying for when it looks like God is asking you to release something that you've been praying for all your life your confession beloved needs to be like the title of this message God I know you're asking for it but I believe there's got to be a ram Lord help me there's got to be a ram in the bush there's got to be a ram the Bible says that he took the ram God help me and he offered him in the place of his son oh God I got got to close it like this I told y'all I'm Baptist Uh, I'm Baptist so I got to close like this I said I was coming back to verse 9 Isaac asked God, I promise y'all I'm done, I'm done. Isaac asked his daddy, uh, my father, behold, there's that word again, the fire and the wood. Abraham is carrying uh, a bucket with lit coals in it. Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his back. Y'all missed it. Uh, Isaac has had the wood for the sacrifice laid upon his back. And he's walking his way up a mountain. But that's not what shouts me. When he gets to the top of the mountain, Isaac lays down on the altar. Allows his, first of all, allows his father to construct the altar. And seeing no lamb, Isaac lays down on the altar. Allows his hands to be bound. Okay, I haven't shouted you yet. Um, let me put this in, in, in proper biblical perspective. Uh, when we read the story, it is our uh, cultural assertion. We, we tend to believe that Isaac was a child no more than 15. Uh, but the chronology of the text suggests that Isaac was much later in age. As a matter of fact, uh, Jewish theologians suggest that Isaac was closer to the age of 33. So this 33-year-old grown man carries the wood of the sacrifice up a mountain allows himself to be laid down on the place of sacrifice with his hands being bound. And what I love is he doesn't cry out for his life. He doesn't say, Daddy, what what about all the promises we made? What about all the plans we had? Isaac lays down and submits to the will of his father to be slain as a sacrifice. But can I tell you something that shouts me? What shouts me is the angel comes and interrupts the sacrifice. But I believe that the angel didn't just interrupt the sacrifice, Tiff, because he saw the ram. And he saw uh, Abraham's fear of God. But I believe that the reason why he stopped the sacrifice is because God knew that only one 33-year-old man was going to die like that. God, help me. And I told you I got to get out of here now, but is there anybody here that knows who that man is? God, help me. Abraham called him his his strength in his old age. Isaac called him his son and strength and shield. Jacob called him his battle axe. But is there anybody here, God, help me, who knows who the 33-year-old man is, that he was walked up a hill called Calvary, and he died. Y'all ain't happy in here. I said he died. He died to save a wretch like me. And my glory is the reason why I give him praise is because he is my ram in the bush. When I was sinking deep in sin, that organ sound good, Mike, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply staying within, I 
I was sinking to rise no more. I know some of y'all looking at me crazy. Y'all like, man, it's hot in here. Will you let us go? And y'all got my permission to bounce. I promise you, you do, because this ain't for you, this for me. At the end of the day, I think about how I should have been swallowed up. I think about how I should have been cast away. But God sent a ram in a bush. The ram wasn't caught in a thorn bush, but he wore a crown of thorns on his head. That ram wasn't shaved before he was burned on the altar, but they whipped him all night long. That ram, good God Almighty, wasn't a ram that climbed up the mountain where Abram couldn't see, but he marched down the Via Della Rosa up a hill called Calvary to an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old crawl where the dearest and the best for world a poor sinner sinners were slain you better testify when God asks you for something you give it to him and you better believe that there's gotta be a ram when God asks you to give a dime out of every dollar and you're afraid that you won't be able to pay all of your bills you ought to trust that there is a ram when you've given the best of your service to a church that didn't even tell you thank you and now the new church is telling you to join pathways and get involved you got to give it and you better believe that there is a ram God will give you a ram in the bush I heard him saying he give power yes God I feel like preaching now he give power yes God he give power to the weak yeah to those who have no might he increases he increases their strength even the use yes God shall faint and be weary Mr. Chico I think my knee feel alright now and young men shall utterly fall but they that wait yes God upon the Lord shall renew all of their strength they shall mount up on wings as eagles they shall run and not get weary they shall walk and not faint I done fooled around and got happy. I got to praise him now because he's been my ram in the bush. No money in my pocket, but the Lord has been a ram. No food in my refrigerator, Ooh, but the Lord, he's been a ram. No transportation to get me from point A to point B, but the Lord has been a ram. Do I have any witnesses here in this cafetorium? Can you open up your mouth and say yes? Yeah? 